We got up to about verse 7, and I'm going to reread. This is where the Lord begins to speak to Moses. He sees what is taking place. Of course, Moses doesn't know that. He's been up with the Lord for 40 days. Uh, he is enraptured by the presence. The Lord hasn't eaten or drinking, drank, sustained by God himself. Uh, but God makes him aware that as the people have been waiting for him, they've actually turned back to the idols of Egypt. And God is infuriated. And Moses will become quite angry as well. But starting in verse um, 7, And the Lord said to Moses, chapter 32, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn with hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Nice promise to Moses anyway. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath And relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of, I give it to you, your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other, they were written that the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made, he burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, Why did this people, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are bent on or set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that should go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and this calf came out. Not exactly. (laughs) Well, it sounds like a two-year-old, doesn't it? Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword at his side, go in and out from every entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. 
So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Yeah, you've heard, you read that right. Go ahead and condemn me. God, remove me from the land's book of life. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot him out of my book. Therefore, go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit for punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Father, we ask them for the ministry the voice of your spirit to speak. The same spirit that spoke through your servant Moses, the same spirit that spoke from the mountain there in the wilderness. Lord, you would speak to us. You would draw us unto you that you would pour out a blessing and not judgment. Lord, we know that you will not withhold judgment if we remain in a rebellious state. I pray that if anyone here is in a state of disbelief, unbelief, rebellion towards you, that they would come to their senses and be healed today in Jesus' name. Amen. Titled our time in God's Word this morning, Consequences of Rebellion. There is consequences of rebellion, isn't there? They don't always show up immediately, which fools people into believing that there might not be this time consequences. But there is. There's always consequences for deciding, I will do what I will do, and I'll take my chances. Or, I don't believe that God will do anything. And I, I, I follow some of the quotes from uh, great men. Uh, Ravi Zacharias was doing a, he's doing a uh, apologetics uh, event in New Jersey this weekend, and uh, he, he was tweeting out different things from, uh, from the conference. And I, and I love where, it's actually a good thing, sometimes atheists follow him, which is great. Because out of the blue, one day God may all of a sudden you know, prick the heart to the point where you know, instead of fighting against the Lord, they realize, you know, but, uh, you know, one of them had a, uh, a comment back to Ravi that uh, why would I join the I have a uh, imaginary friend club? That's you and I, is what they're saying, that, that you and I follow an imaginary friend. Well, for Israel, God was not imaginary at this day. He became quite real. Now, he's real before he pours out judgment, and we get to experience the genuine blessing of that relationship with him, but if we don't believe what he says, his realness will be manifested in judgment, and there will be consequences for rebellion. Now, if you're taking notes, I've uh, put it in three sections this morning. Hopefully, we'll get through it. If not, we shall see. But the first uh, that we left off last week, displeasure and discernment. Displeasure and discernment. There's some displeasure, fierce displeasure with the Lord and with Moses. But we also see God give discernment to Moses. Displeasure actually a lot of times is discernment. Things that displease you and I, 
uh, in a righteous way is the discernment of the Lord, the wisdom of God speaking to us saying, that is offensive to me. And that which God hates, we hate. It's a good thing. Jesus talked about, even when he writes to the churches, that you hate the things that I hate. That's good, but we can't hate people. We still must love people, but we have a hatred for the demonic, destructive things of this world. And God has a great displeasure for seeing people's lives destroyed. Discernment, uh, displeasure and discernment. We'll look at distaste and disappointment. It would be much better that God give us a distaste for something and have a moment of disappointment in our life than let us go all the way to the logical conclusion, which is utter destruction, which we'll look at in the last death and devotion. Death, the death that comes, but also we'll look briefly at the devotion that Moses has, which is so uh, really unbelievable that uh, the devotion to the Lord, that he would have the heart that he does for people that are so rebellious. It'd be one thing to have that kind of love that Moses exhibited for maybe Aaron, but people that are are out and out rebellious, not only to the Lord, but towards Moses as well. But we look at this displeasure and discernment, God speaking to Moses, and he's extremely angry to the point where God has told Moses, I think what I'm going to do is kill them all. And I'll make a great nation out of you. Well, I'll still keep my promise to Abraham because you're a... Moses is, of course, a descendant of Abraham. The covenant wouldn't have died. God just would have restarted. Just like when Adam was born, the earth was proliferated with human beings, and then came the flood, and God restarted the whole process with one man, Noah. And... God could do the same with Moses. He was angry enough to say, look, here's the thing. And and some people would say, what kind of God would kill everyone? Well, look at the response of the people to God. Where did they get the gold from to make this idol? God gave it to them. Remember, before they left the land of Egypt, they were slaves with not a red cent in their pocket, and then God has the Egyptians hand over their 401ks to the people before they leave. Say, we don't know why, but we're not going to be needing this. Give it to you. And really, a lot of people do that. God gives them a blessing. Instead of taking that blessing and serving the Lord with it, they say, I'm going to go buy an idol. Thanks, God. Thanks for the paycheck. Now I'm going to go serve something from the paycheck instead of serving you. God had given them the gold. They were soon going to receive the instructions from Moses what they were to do as far as the building of the tabernacle. Now thankfully, as we'll see, God gave them so much of an overflow that even this idolatry doesn't end up putting a dent in the need for the tabernacle. Isn't that great? That God will give us an overflow. And really that overflow should never be used for idolatry, but that overflow should be used for global missions, touching other lives, reaching outside beyond that our sphere of serving the Lord would grow beyond what it is today. Whatever we're able to give to today, as God blesses us, we're able to move beyond that, both through faith and through that overflow that he gives us. But they were given this gold by the Lord, and instead of 
having any desire to use it for the Lord, they actually take it and make it into an Egyptian god. And his anger is unquenchable were it not for one man pleading on their behalf. Similar to, remember when Sodom and Gomorrah was about to be destroyed, Abraham comes to God, who is called the friend of God, and pleads with the Lord not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, whenever God's going to pour out his judgment, he always raises up a man to cry out for repentance and mercy. Is that you? Are you the person standing in the gap between this country, which has continually thumbed its nose at the Lord and continually is falling, not even falling, is running away from God, and even though it's disgusting and discouraging, we still, in the displeasure that God has, we want to plead for mercy. It's easier to do when it's someone you know, like your child, right? Judge everybody else's kids, but have mercy on my child, right? Remember, everyone out there is someone else's child, amen? In the same way you plead for your own, be like Moses, that even in the displeasure of God is pleading for the people. Turn with me to Hosea chapter 5 for just a second. It does, God does a better job of describing what his wrath looks like than I can do. It is good to have a healthy fear of the Lord. Amen? I was telling my daughters that are, uh, this uh, just a week ago, I saw the story in the news you might have seen, um, where uh, in Indiana, this was just in, just in the last week, maybe two weeks ago. In the, la- in the last two weeks or so, there was a neighborhood in Indiana where, uh, outside of Indianapolis, I think it was, but somewhere in Indiana, where dogs and cats were just vanishing. And large dogs, not, not, <laughs> not just little chihuahuas and stuff, but any size pet, and there would be blood there and everything, and so they thought, well, is it a bobcat or something else? And, uh, and it ended up being that someone heard, some, heard a commotion one night and shot, and it was a full-grown leopard that I guess somebody had, uh, this is not really your kind of house pet that you should raise. When they get free, their natural instincts kick in, and if you know anything about the pounds per square inch jaw strength of a leopard, they're actually considered the best athlete of the big cats, incredibly powerful animals. At 140 pounds, they can actually carry three, four times their body weight up a tree, no problem. So they make light work of a German shepherd. You need to have a healthy fear of something like that. And by the way, a shotgun comes in handy at that time, doesn't it? Not throwing sticks at it really won't work. But you need to have a healthy fear of the Lord, and the Lord compares himself to a great big cat. Matter of fact, God compares himself often to the lion, which uh, fears no... uh, And look at uh, Hosea chapter 5. Hosea chapter 5. I'm sorry, Hosea 13. I know, 5 and 13, but they're both odd numbers. But anyway, (laughs) that was a brief math lesson for you kids. So uh, very, very brief. Hosea chapter 13, 
Hosea chapter 13, not 5, starting with verse 4. Now, remember, God had delivered the children of Israel. He deserved their love. He deserved their devotion. If God has delivered you, he deserves your love. He deserves your devotion. He actually deserves your love and devotion whether he hasn't delivered you yet. Amen? Look at verse 4. Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. God never forgets that he brought them out of Egypt, ever. He'll never forget that he brought you out of spiritual Egypt, ever. You may forget it. I may forget it, but he'll never forget it. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me. For there is no Savior besides me. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. When they had pasture, they were filled. Now, he's speaking of when they make it to the land of Canaan, but it, doesn't, uh, it still applies here. They got to the wilderness. They had nothing to drink, nothing to eat. God sends manna, gives them water out of a rock. Otherwise, they would have died. They were filled, and their heart were exalted. Every time God prospers people, the propensity is to immediately forget him. It's very dangerous in our life. If God prospers you, stay close to him. It is very easy to forget God as soon as he fills the plate. Therefore, they forgot me. They forgot him, the relationship, forgot his power, forgot his, his great awesome ability to be their savior, to be their defender, but also he can be their judge. Look at verse 7. Sigh will be to them like a lion. I even forgot leopard was in here. Like a leopard. I totally forgot this was in here. But the Holy Spirit knows. Even God will tell you to be, have a healthy fear of lions and leopards. You don't pet them like kitty cats. By the road I will lurk, I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cubs. I will tear open their rib cage, and I will devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. Drop down to um, verse 13. The sorrows, um, look at verse 12 actually. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. I have written in my Bible, the United States, right beside that. We're storing up sin. Just like debt, 17 trillion, you think our monetary debt bill is high, you should see the sin debt. Much, much higher. Praise God for mercy, amen? Because you and I have the same debt that we can't pay. The sorrows of a woman and childbirth shall come upon him. I have my Bible written, 100% will happen. 100%. God will judge. He will pour out his wrath on those that refuse to repent. You can go back to Exodus 32. So we know that God is greatly displeased. What about Moses? Well, Moses' response, first thing he does is he pleads for the people, but when he gets to the base of the mountain... The zeal of the Lord comes upon him. He takes the Ten Commandments. What does he do? Smashes them on the ground, signifying that the law of God has immediately been broken before it even got into their hands. And this is you and me. We were sinners long before we recognized that the law had been broken. But it is a symbol. It's symbolic that the law has been broken. 
And only Jesus could come and completely take the pieces, put it all back together. Now he'll get a second, a second giving of the commandments. But only Jesus, when he comes, would actually be able to put those pieces back together and perfectly fulfill the law that no man can keep. But we don't only not keep it, we get arrogant and prideful. And Moses is infuriated. He's infuriated. He says, how can this be? It wasn't like, you, it wasn't like God didn't show himself. Do you, have you forgotten the Red Sea? Have you forgotten the manna? Have you forgotten that God judged Pharaoh and his household? The firstborn of all the Egyptians were killed. Do you not think that God would bring death upon you? Why would, why would we be any different? Well, other people God will judge, but he won't judge us. People have that mindset, don't they? Get them, Lord, while you're in your own sin. We don't want to have this hypocritical view that God will judge others. But, he would, it, but some of the children of Israel got to the point where they didn't really believe in God anymore. In a very short period of time, they actually were willing to believe in other gods that could neither hear, can't see, can't help them, can't judge their enemies, can't do anything. And Moses is furious. You know, it's not, it's not a sin, Christian, and believer, to be angry. Ephesians 4.26 tells us, be angry and do not sin. There's things that we need to get angry about. Uh, we were at the pastor's conference, and I love when Pastor Lewis Neely, he got really fired up, and he goes, I wish there was something up here I could break right now. <laughs> yeah, he's older, he's, allowed to, he's like close to 80. I have a few more years before I can say things like that. I can think them, though. There's things that we should get angry about. It infuriates me. I mean, in a righteous anger, when I see parents dragging their kids to hell and they have no idea they're doing it. Uh, it makes my blood boil when I see parents that would actually oh, I'm glad my kid's doing this or doing that. I'm like, do you think that's where it's going to stop? What do you think would restrain? One of the things about the children of Israel said they had no restraint. One of the things the Holy Spirit's called is a restrainer. The only thing that restrains people from becoming serial killers or jihadists or anything else is Jesus Christ. Every single person here is capable of all that the children of Israel did. And Moses is not just angry at the people sinning, he's angry because the children will follow their parents. And he's like, Jesus said it this way, anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, I'd rather a millstone be tied around their neck and tossed into the sea. And so it gets God, it's one thing for you, to, you know, when I see people and adults sin, it's one for them to sin, but your alcoholism, your this, your that, is actually destroying little children's lives. Well, it doesn't affect anybody but me. Everyone's sin affects somebody else. And Moses is angry because the Lord is angry. Now, you know his anger is not sin because he had already been pleading for them, but he's angry that the enemy has now infiltrated the camp. I get angry when the enemy infiltrates this camp, and he does. And I see people and their, their choices and their lifestyles, I'm like, this is the way the world thinks. They 
destroy and distort and confuse their own children. That ought not be in the household of God. We see Moses' displeasure, but we also see his discernment. Joshua was a faithful servant. By the way, are you training to be a Joshua? Are you willing to kind of be the understudy and be disciple? Joshua was the understudy of Moses. He would become Moses' replacement. We all need to disciple people, but we also need to be discipled. Joshua was a great man of God in his own right, but he put himself under the authority of Moses. I put myself personally under the authority of a number of men to actually invest, pick me apart, and actually help me grow in the Lord. How about yourself? Who knows about your walk with the Lord other than yourself? If you say nobody, that's a problem. You should have people that are invested in your life that actually are more mature than you in the Lord that you would actually be able to learn from, grow from. Joshua is a man of the Lord. He hears the commotion, but he hasn't walked with the Lord as long as Moses. He doesn't have the closeness of Moses' relationship, although he loves the Lord as well, and the Lord loves him. And he says, what is this sound, Moses? I think it's the sound of war. Now, Joshua was a man of war. Probably everything sounds... You know, when you're, when, every, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? <laughs> sounds like a war. Joshua's ready to grab his bow and arrow. You know, he's younger. He's more fit. He realizes it's got to be a battle. If it's a battle, I'm ready. Moses like, pipe down. It's not a battle down there. It's ugly, but it's not a battle. Or if it is a battle... It's not the kind of battle that you're thinking of, Joshua. There's a spiritual battle down there, that's for sure. But it's not a battle with arrows and blood yet. There will be some bloodshed, unfortunately. He has the discernment. It's good that we grow in discernment. I saw a quote that says, This present age is more concerned with speed than direction. And people... They can move really fast in any direction, but they really have no direction where they're headed. And no idea that the direction they're headed will land in destruction. Damien Kyle, when we were at the pastor's conference, I'm going to play this message for the church, perhaps, uh, perhaps on a Wednesday night. Um, I'm strongly considering it showing it this coming Wednesday night. So if you don't come, I might show it this Wednesday night. It's a message uh, that he preached to the church of Sardis, or, or Jesus preached uh, Jesus' letter to the church of Sardis, but he talks about discernment in that as well, and that discernment comes from the Holy Spirit. We can only, where, where church and an individual lacks discernment, it's they don't have that walk with the Lord, that effervescent walk with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit speaks truth to you all throughout the day. And Joshua, of course, was a man that loved the Lord, but Moses exemplifies this discernment, saying, no, 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 God's already told me what the sound is. It's not a war. Moses said, it's the sound of singing I hear, but they're not singing to the God of Israel. He knows they're not singing to the God of Israel. They're singing to someone, but it's a demonic spirit they're singing to, the spirit of the demonic idolatry of Egypt. Oswald Chambers said, God does not exist to answer our prayers, but by our prayers we come to discern the mind of God. 
We come to discern the mind of God through prayer. Moses spent 40 days in prayer and fasting. Do you want to hear from the Lord? Do you want to be able to know right, not just right from wrong, but right from almost right? That's Spurgeon. Then be in prayer. Fast and pray. See, Lord, I, I, I don't know what to do in this situation. I need your wisdom and discernment. Fast and pray. Get closer to God. Invest in that relationship. Obey the Lord. Let him speak directly to you. And then, of course, he's going to speak to you more when you're not fasting and praying. We're just riding down the highway or walking into the office or coming home and there's a situation that arises and you need immediate discernment. You don't have time to put in a 40-day fast, which I've never done and I presume most of us haven't. But you need that discernment for the moment as well, don't you? Joshua would need it in the future. We all need it. We know that he hears this noise. Moses says, it's not the noise of a shout of victory. It's not the noise of the cry of defeat. It's singing I hear. It's noise and activity. A lot of times... People have a lot of noise and activity in their life, but they can't hear God. Lots of noise. That's why the scripture says, be still and know that I am God. If you don't turn off the TV, if you don't turn off the eye touch, if you don't turn off the radio, if you don't turn off constant activity, activity, let's go here, let's go here, let's do this, let's fill up every single minute of the day. Let's fill up every single possible minute, and when I, I, before the light goes off, I'll say a quick prayer to God, right? All the noise, all the activity. You won't even know when you're being defeated in battle, much less singing about it. And that's what uh, disturbs Moses. He understands what this, his discernment here. He knows that not all shouts... He says it's not the noise of the shout of victory. Moses knows that not all victory shouts are actually victory. Did you catch that? There's a lot of people, name of the name of Christ, claiming victory that are not living in victory, have not seen victory, but they know how to shout it. Just watch some of the television evangelist programs. All kinds of nonsense. Shouting victory in one moment, Asking to send money in for their jet the next. Right? You think I'm kidding. Some of them literally have had those, I sense right now that a thousand of you are going to help pay for our jet, new jet. Your jet. You know, one recently wanted people to pay multi-millions in debt. You'll never hear Paul asking for that. Or Moses asking for that or Peter asking for that, or John the Baptist asking for that. Shouts of victory that are not victory at all. People actually claim, the Lord's given me this, or the Lord's given me that. How do you know? Every good and perfect gift from above. If it took you away from God, maybe it didn't come from Him. Amen? Maybe that's one you went and got yourself. And you assigned it some spiritual significance, but it really wasn't victory at all. Not everyone, he says, nor is it the cry of defeat. 
Moses could wish it was the cry of defeat, because that would realize that the people realize they're in a bad place, but they don't think they're in a bad place. This is what Damian Kyle preaches on when he talks about Jesus' letter to the church of Sardis. They thought they were in a great place when they were actually already dead. Do you think you're in a great place where God says, no, you're actually right now in a really bad place? They, Moses knows that not all people recognize they're currently being defeated and have actually been defeated and are heavy laden in sin. They don't even realize it. You know, it's kind of like um, even, in, even in battles, soldiers have lost like a limb and will tell stories they didn't even know it was off. They're all, they didn't even know it was gone. Right? And this happens to a lot of people. They don't realize that the Spirit of the Lord hath left Ichabod. It's departed. They don't realize they're in defeat, and yet they are. He says, no, it's not that. They don't even recognize they're in defeat. They don't even know they're in a battle for their souls. And not all singing is actually praising. That's so true, isn't it? There's a lot of concerts and Christian music and all that stuff that the Spirit of the Lord is not there sometimes. Sometimes He is. But a lot of times it's just modern entertainment. That's all it is. Some of them will be that honest and say it's just entertainment. I know. It is. That doesn't mean that it's really of the Lord. It's the sound of singing. People can actually... uh, and And if our singing is actually singing while there's a lot of sin in our life, then that also is an abomination to the Lord. Another thing about Moses' discernment here, he says when he gets to the bottom, well, he knows, he knows about the sin before he even gets to the bottom of the mountain. I found this in life. Uh, one of the things that God does, if you really are part of the family of God, like if, like if this is your church family, I mean, it's not some place that you just show up every now and then. You really consider this your family, and not everybody does. Think, that's the thing about Calvary Chapel. You basically vote with your feet, you know? Although God doesn't like that. He wants you to vote with your heart. Anybody can vote with their feet. But he wants your heart. And if your heart is, you know, you really do have, just like I have a, a, a responsibility in my house, I have a wife and three daughters, I should be able to see things even before they tell me. How many of your parents have actually discerned something long before your kids ever admitted something? I hope so. That should happen a lot. Right? You just see their disposition is wrong. Their countenance is wrong. Their answers are shallow. Lacking information. It's not that they didn't give you some information. You didn't get all the information. And the information they did give you, you've been around the block a few times to know that that doesn't fly. Right? And God gives discernment to shepherds that are really, real pastors, real elders, real leaders. A lot of times God will discern. I can look at someone and realize the Lord will just say, something's not right there. Something's not right. I don't usually know what it is. I'm not like Moses or God tells me definitively. It's this, this, and this. But sometimes the Lord will give discernment 
if you really love the Lord, the longer you love the Lord, the longer you know the Lord, He'll give you discernment. You'll, you'll run into somebody. They don't have to say a word. The Holy Spirit will say, pray for them. They're in a really bad place. They may not say it, but God will give discernment. God will even, if you really, you're really His child, He'll reveal your sin to somebody. He will? Yes. You will make a big mistake and not cover your tracks. And it'll be wide open. But God loves people enough to kick the door wide open. Because when the door is kicked open, someone can come in and grab you and pull you out of the fire. Because we're told to actually rescue the erring ones, aren't we? How can I rescue them if I don't know they need to be rescued? Because they usually don't always know they need to be rescued. They're at the bottom of the hill not realizing that God, they have no idea God is going to kill every one of them if Moses doesn't come to their defense. Who are you coming to the defense of? Do you have that discernment to actually step in and be used of the Lord? Let's look at uh, the next one. We're probably going to be in a three-part here. God must really want a lot said about Exodus 32. More than I even thought. And I knew he wanted to say a lot about Exodus 32. God doesn't want us to miss anything of what he's trying to say to his people. To, To me, I don't know about you, but because God loves me so much, and I'm really unlovable, was before salvation, still am now, I have my own flaws, but God continually refines me and continually says, all right, this is going to go. I I actually really come to love the strong hand of God. Because the strong hand of God is not always a, a big, it's not like a fist. The strong hand of God moves me when I need to be moved. Right? You want a strong, like if your child, think about it. Here comes a real rail car. Your child's not paying attention. You want to have a strong enough arm that you could reach out and grab and pull them back before they're hit by a locomotive. That's when it it helps that you have a strong arm dad that could actually reach out, pull and pull, because you wouldn't even know the danger. But God has that kind of hand that he says, no, 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 Moses, you will exhibit my anger that they will turn, but I will heal them if they will turn. Let's look at this briefly, this distaste and, dis, uh, distaste and disappointment. Jesus tells us in Revelation 3.19, Jesus with the same words as the Father just said differently, saying the same thing. Revelation 3.19, Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke. And chasten. You know, rebuke is not like a pat on the head. Rebuke is to your face. God will get in your face. You ever as a parent got down eye to eye with your child and looked really seriously in their eyes? I mean, look in their eyes and say, I want you to understand that I am serious. That's good. You're saving them from the wrath to come. A lot of parents don't do that. I watch parents. It grieves my heart. In our neighborhood, we were at the neighborhood pool the other day, and I watch. I heard a dad say, I, I honestly heard someone say this. 
The only thing I know how to get to is the beer cooler and where the Gatorade is. Really? You're 40-some years of age, and this is the wisdom that you have come to. You know how to get to the beer cooler and the Gatorade. I know how to get the kids a Gatorade for sports. I know how to get myself a beer. Yes, I said beer in the church. I understand. This isn't a Baptist church. <laughs> that was a Tim Hawkins joke or something like that. But, uh... but the sadness is there. No wisdom whatsoever so there'll be never any rebuking of wrong in the household because there's no understanding of it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Because I fear God, I teach the fear of God to If I don't fear God, they won't fear God. Now, I, like, I love restraint. I not only have the restraint of the Holy Spirit, but now as a pastor, I've got this gigantic bullseye on my back that says if you fall badly, lots of other people will too which I kind of embrace because it gives me extra motivation to stay close to Jesus. And unlike some people, I like extra motivation. Right? If the jockey and the racehorse gets, hits the horse one more time and the horse wins the race, success! Right? So if God uses the strong hand to say, that's not for you, not only is it not for you, it's not for your kids. It's not for your kids, not for your wife. It's not for your family. It's not for the church family. And if God gives us the rebuke and this distaste here, it's a good thing because God cleaning house is really something we should welcome. Amen? God cleaning the house is good. We see the children of Israel here dancing, unrestrained with the golden calf. There's a lot more going on here than just dancing. I cannot tell you all the things that are happening here, but those of you that have studied the scriptures, you know anything about history, about the Greeks and the Romans and the way that they like to celebrate and the Egyptians... This is a really bad scene. There's a lot more going on here. It is an immoral, filth-ridden, and it's a lot, it's bad. It is the kind of occultic practices that are taking place. When Moses arrives on the scene, it's downright demonic what's taking place. Everything with, when you think of the Ashtoreth, the goddess of love, and all that stuff's going on. Everything. Debauchery of any kind is taking place. That's what the, the unrestrained, the scholars that have studied it, this is what is going on. And Moses sees this, he's infuriated. He's not attracted to it. He's repulsed by it. How about you? When you see the things that are going on in this world, are you attracted to it or repulsed by it? Don't forget, guys. Another thing that infuriates me, the things that pornography and all that stuff, that's somebody's daughter. You recognize that? I mean, where in the world is people, they have no concept of the living God that created people for his glory, not for debauchery. And this is what's taking place here. Idolatry. 
in every form. Eventually, what does Moses do to the uh, golden calf? Well, he takes it upon himself, burns it in the fire. He ends up smashing it into dust. As it dries, he takes it out of the fire, and while it's still, um, probably while it's still moldable, puts it in a, I don't know how he does it, whether it's in a thin sheet or what lets it dries in it, and smashes it to powder. You imagine the process. Everyone's just watching this. What is he doing? So far, the only bad things happen so far as our God is getting smashed into pieces. You know the power of God. What comes upon Moses here is much like when Jesus clears the temple. No one dare, I mean, everyone's just like, one guy, anyone could have killed him. The zeal of the Lord is upon the zeal of the Lord came upon Jesus twice, didn't it? He cleared the temple. You've seen how massive the temple is. I showed you guys. It looks like a city. He clears the entire temple area out. You're like, how do you even do that? But Moses, in whatever painstaking effort it is, God will not take shortcuts in dealing with sin, will he? Melts it, has to dry, ground it into powder and then pours it all in the waters. Eventually, all the idols will be burned in this world. Eventually, they'll all be ground into powder and scattered. The earth, remember I talked about the rainbow? The earth is reserved for fire and all of its idols. And there's a lot of them. And remember, anything you exalt to the level of idol you won't get to hold on to it anyway. I remember when I first got saved at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, it used to always, Bob must have said it about once every four months, but it really stuck with me because here I am saying it today. That he goes, if you want an idea of where all the stuff you worship is, go to your county landfill. Breathe it in. Breathe all of its glory in. And there lies a bunch of stuff that at one time was so desired, right? Or the junkyard where the cars are smashed down and, you know, used to be that was somebody's baby, <laughs> right? They, well, it's going to always stay in How do you know someone doesn't sideswipe it, Right? You're sitting there in the traffic and someone slams into it, right? You can't protect any idols. And if you're really in Christ, he'll take them from you before they do a lot of damage. He grinds it into powder. He grinds that idol into powder, fine powder. It reminds me that Jesus said in Luke 20, 18, whoever falls on that stone, that stone being himself, he's the rock that we talked about on uh, Wednesday night in our Roman study. Whoever falls on the rock of Jesus will be broken. That's a good thing. That, that's weeping in the sound of battle, realizing that I'm, I've been defeated, crying out for mercy. But whomever it falls on, will be ground into powder. 
meaning that not only will the idols be destroyed, but the people who worship the idols will be destroyed. That the idols and the people together will go out into God's judgment. I'll say one more thing before we'll kind of postpone and we'll have a part three to Exodus 30. Like I said, I, 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 taught, I really have just meditating on this with the Lord this morning. I'm like, Lord, I, I, it already took me longer, but I'm, I'm resigned to the fact if you want to stay here a little longer, I'll stay a little longer. Whatever it is that, if there's something you're trying, to, well, I know there's some, a lot of things he's trying to say. This is paramount. The, the Exodus 32 is paramount for where our country is right now. There are men of God that are speaking, that are saying, turn, turn. There's not a lot of them, percentage-wise, not all of them, but there's a healthy number, numbers-wise, just not percentage-wise. We have 300, and, I don't know, what is it? 370 million people or whatever we have, not 317, not, I can't remember, but somewhere over, somewhere between 320 and 370 million people in America. But in that number, there's a certain number of men of God, prophets, pastors, and evangelists that are speaking the truth, and the vast majority of the masses are not listening. They're dancing around golden calves, they're, they, got, they got their bats in their hand. Uh, the, the, the fires are right at the edge, but they don't think it'll ever, 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 ever happen. That's for somebody else. Tsunamis are for Japan. They're not for America, right? Big earthquakes are for China. They're not for America, right? Oh, uh, tsunamis are for Indonesia. They're, they're the, those are the ones that they kill like 200,000 people. That stuff doesn't happen here. Oh, economic collapse, that's for Greece. That's not for us. Think about it. Think of the arrogance as, as, a, as people dance around their idols, invest in their idols, live for their idols, do all these things, and God says, no, 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 I've sent men to you. Yeah, I'll judge Egypt. I'll judge Rome, I'll judge Greece, I'll judge China, but I also will judge, especially I will judge a nation that has on its dollar bill, and we're coming up the 4th of July, in God we trust. You cannot defame the name of God again and again and again and him not defend his name. You know he puts his name above his word? His name is his word. He will not, and, and in the church, if we really are the body of Christ, he will not let the church defame his name. If I would ever defame the name of God, I would want him to remove me from the scene. Chuck Smith has said for years, if he would ever do anything to disdain the name of Christ, that God strike me dead. Which is the prayer that not a lot of people are willing to pray. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that Chuck hasn't made mistakes. We haven't even gotten to, I, want to spend, I don't want to rush. We're going to get to Aaron's mistakes. I thought we were going to get to them this week. We're going to get to them next week. Because we all make mistakes. And God wants us to have a distaste for those mistakes. Do you have a distaste for things you've done that you wish you could go back and redo? Like really, there's certain things in your life you say, if I could only go back and redo that. That's good. Because you have something to pass on to someone else who's about to make the big blunder. Amen? 
If we don't learn anything from them, we've got bigger problems, don't we? Yet, it's one thing, it's one thing to worship these things. But notice that Moses takes the powder, puts it in the water, and makes them drink it. There's, um, you know, maybe that's kind of like, uh, you know, some parents have said, all right, you, you, you really like to eat what I told you not to? Okay, eat the whole box. Later, the kid, you know, is walking around, feels like they're going to vomit, stomach ache, right? It's one thing to dance around your idols, but it, it's different when God allows you to fully drink it in and ingest it. And boy, haven't some people come to find out that what seemed like it would be so great, if I had this other marriage, everything would be perfect. If I had this other life, everything would be perfect. If I had this other God, everything would be great. And God says, go ahead, drink that in. Tell me how it's coming out. Where it just will all of a sudden, you will be racked with feeling of ill. I've never drank an entire glass of gold, but I can't imagine it would do good things for me. Actually, it probably would do some good things for you, but it wouldn't feel great in the process. We're going to have to stop there, and we'll come back to this, because I want, to, I want us to, and we'll focus uh, when we get back together next week on the, the full consequences that are going to come. 3,000 die. But also Moses' response, and we want to fully understand, what about Aaron? What about a man of God that was serving well, that takes a step backwards? What about him? What about you if you've served well and you've taken a step backwards? We'll look at that uh, more next week, uh, uh, the Sunday of our baptism. But uh, let's close in prayer.